it up in verse number 37. It's not exactly at a... I had to pick it up somewhere, and uh, I've decided verse 37 is where we're going to start today. Uh, Verse 37, we're going to read down through verse number 40 of John chapter 6. Verse 37 says this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we've already enjoyed in this service. And uh, Lord, I pray now as we come to the preaching time, to the time where we look into your word, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help our hearts to be ready to receive your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be good ground for your word to find a resting place and a growing place. And, and uh, may it not get choked out by the world and the cares of this world. And may, may it uh, bring forth much fruit in our life. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless this time uh, in your word and, and help us, Lord, to not just be good hearers, but then to be good doers of what we hear. Help us, Lord, to take this truth, these truths and live them out as we go from this place. And we thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, two weeks ago on Vision Sunday, I announced that our theme for Cornerstone Baptist Church in the year 2021 would be looking unto Jesus. And since we are to keep our eyes upon him this year, I thought it would be healthy for us to take these Sunday morning services to really learn about Jesus and to really focus in on who he is. And last Sunday, we started a short four-week series on, uh, well, for a lack of a better term, not that it's a bad term, but Christology, we're, we're, we're doing a little uh, four-week series on, on Christ. Well, last Sunday, we looked at his person, his nature. Uh, we saw that his nature, uh, he had a divine nature. We saw that Jesus has a human nature, and we also saw last Sunday that Jesus has a sinless nature. Well, today we're going to look at his purpose or his mission, uh, why he came. Now, before we get into Jesus' purpose, have you ever wondered what your purpose is in this life? I mean, really, why are you here? Not why are you here at church, but uh, why are you here on this earth? Why do you exist? What is your purpose in this life? Well, this morning, as we look at the purpose for Jesus coming to this earth, I believe we'll also learn about our purpose for being here too. Now, how many of you, uh, if you're honest, like me, have walked into a room to do something and then completely forgot what you were going to do when you got there? Uh, I have, and it's happened to me here. I walk into the workroom, and I'm going, okay, now why did I even come to the workroom? I know it was for a reason. I just can't remember what that reason was. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess that's a sign of uh, me getting a little bit on the older side, but um, 
I, f- I still feel like I'm, I'm 12 at times and still act like I'm 12 at times if you ask my family. Uh, but uh, yes, we all forget from time to time what, why we were uh, doing what we, were, what we came to do. We're like, uh, I came into this room to do something and I cannot remember what it was. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ never forgot what his mission was and why he came. He never walked into a room and went, now why am I here? Uh, he never uh, walked into a city and said, now why am I here? Uh, he always knew what his mission was. So the question for us this morning is, why did Jesus come to this earth? Uh, why would he trade the praises of heaven for the rejection of men on earth? Why would he forgo the streets of gold for streets of dust? Uh, why would he come to this earth? Well, in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus clued us in as to why he came to this earth, why he came. And so this morning, I want to share with, uh, with you four reasons he was willing to become flesh and dwell among us. Now, there are others, uh, but for uh, this morning, uh, we're going to just focus on these four. And so notice, first of all, this morning, one of the reasons that Jesus came, one of the purposes of Christ being here, was Jesus came to submit to his Father's will. In our text this morning, in verse number 38, uh, Jesus said this, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And it's not the only place in the, in the Bible that he said he came to do the will of his Father. Uh, John chapter 6 is right here. If you go back to John chapter 5 real quick, and verse number 30, he says this in verse number 30 of John chapter 5, I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. John 9 and verse number 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. John 4 and verse 34, Jesus said this, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus didn't come to do his own will, but to uh, submit to his Father's will. He was obedient to his Father. Now, first of all, he was obedient when he, first of all, came to this earth, when he was born. The Bible says in Galatians chapter number 4 and verse 4, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. So as God sent forth his Son, the Son willingly obeyed and came to this earth in the form of a little baby in Bethlehem's manger. And then when Jesus was here on this earth, he was also submissive to the Father's will also. In John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus said this, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. And then listen to this, For I do always those things that please him. So throughout his life, Jesus was in complete obedience to the, to his, to the will of his Father. Uh, and then after that, he was obedient when it came to going to the cross. If you uh, turn in your Bible, if you, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 39. Matthew 26, 39, as Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, about ready to face the cross, uh, there was a, a moment of, uh, of struggle, a moment of, uh, of conflict, in his, in his heart. 
In verse number 39, he says, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And verse 40 says, He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. So Jesus, as he's about ready to go to the cross, uh, his humanity, his human nature didn't want to go through all that he was about to experience. And, uh, and yet he decided that he was still going to be obedient. He was still going to submit to the will of God for his life. The Apostle Paul worded it in, in uh, Philippians 2 in verse number 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And while I know it wasn't always easy for Jesus to submit to the will of his Father, the Bible says in Psalm 40, in verse number 8, says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Jesus delighted to do the will of his Father. It was something that he enjoyed doing. He delighted in it. So in every moment, in every decision, and in every way, Jesus was totally submissive to the will of his Father. So Jesus' purpose was to submit to the will of his Father. And as you and I consider what our purpose is in here, here on this earth, it really is the same thing. For us also to submit to the will of the Father. For us to submit to the will of God. So you say, well, why do I exist here on this earth? One of the reasons you're here is to submit to the will of God. Paul said, in, uh, well, this, be this begs the question, then what is the will of the Father? What is the will of God for us? In Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 17, Paul tells us that we're to uh, not be ignorant of the will of God. He says, wherefore, be not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So God wants us to have an understanding of the will of God for our lives. Not to be totally ignorant and say, well, this, the will of God is this figment of somebody's imagination. It's this abstract idea that nobody really can grasp. Actually, it's something that all of us can understand if we just study the word of God and look in it. When it comes to the will of God, there are two aspects of the will of God. There, there is the unique will of God. The unique will of God for me, for instance, is to be married to Julie Johnson. Okay, That's God's will, unique will for Eric Johnson. It's not God's will for anyone else in this room to be married to Julie Johnson. It's God's will for me. That's unique to me. It's also God's unique will for me to be the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. And at the moment, uh, that's not God's will for you. Uh, maybe someday down the road, uh, maybe Logan is going to be the next pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. He laughs, but uh, be careful what you laugh at. Sarah laughed in the Bible, and look what happened to her. <laughs> so just a warning there, my friend. Uh, 
So that's God's unique will of God for me, right? God's unique will for you is different than it is for me. But then there's also the universal will of God that applies to all of us. And so for those who are wondering, okay, what is God's will for me, especially the young people? Okay, what is God's will for my future? Oh, I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you there are some things that God wants all of us to be doing. First of all, uh, what are some of these aspects of the universal will of God for all of us? God desires, first of all, that all of us would believe on Christ, that all of us would be saved. In verse number uh, 40 of John chapter 6, he says this, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. So God's will is that we would believe on Christ. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, talking about the Lord who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. So if you're wondering what God's will is for you, first of all, God's will is that you'd get saved, that you become a Christian, that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, more important than what career you have and uh, who you marry and what college you should go to and you know how much, how much money you're going to... Th- th- those things are way on the bottom of the list compared to this aspect because this will affect, yes, the rest of your life here on this earth, but it will also affect where you spend eternity. And so this morning, if you're not saved, God's will for you is to get saved, is to become a Christian, be born again. Um, Why are we here on this earth? To submit to the will of the Father, to submit to the will of God. Well, the first thing we should submit to is this matter of salvation. What else? Uh, We are to also live a pure life. God desires that all of us would live a pure life. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For this is the will of God. He's about ready to tell us what the will of God is for our lives. All of us should be going, hey, I'm listening. I want to know what the will of God is for me. Well, he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. I realize that it's not very popular in 2021 to talk about uh, abstaining from any sexual relationship outside of marriage. I realize that's not popular. That's not highlighted in in the, uh, the popular sitcoms of today. But I'm telling you, it's still in the Word of God, and it's still the, word, the will of God for all of us as believers, that we would live a pure life. God's will for you teenagers is that one day you would stand at your wedding altar as a virgin, as a pure virgin. That's God's will for your life. And you say, well, that's not very popular, and I'll get made fun of. So be it. It's the will of God. What else is the will of God? Believe on Christ. Live a pure life. Giving thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse number 18, I realize it's January and not November. We're not supposed to talk about Thanksgiving in January. I realize that. Actually, it's the will of God for all of us to give thanks throughout the year, throughout our lives as believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, we're to give thanks. I don't really like the results of the election. Oh, giving thanks in everything? Uh-oh. Hey, that's the will of God for you. That's the will of God for me to give thanks in everything. What else? Living a godly public life. 
living a godly public life in 1 Peter 2 and verse number 15 and talking about submitting to those who are in authority over us. 1 Peter 2.15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God wants us to live a godly public life, to not be rebel rousers and uh, to not, you know, and, and, and in some points, you know, Peter was a rebel rouser. Uh, when he said we ought to obey God rather than men. But that was only because there was a contradiction between uh, God's word and what they were asking him to do or not to do. Uh, but beyond that, we are to be living in a life of submission to those in authority over us. Micah 6 and verse number 8 says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Living a godly public life. So as we look at Jesus' purpose, it helps us to understand our purpose. And Jesus' purpose, part of it was to submit to the will of his Father. And as we consider our purpose, our purpose is the same. To submit to the will of God for our lives. And then as God guides us and directs us in the other areas that are unique to us, that we're willing to submit to. Now, the Lord made it very clear to us back in 2018 that he wanted us to move from Montana to Oklahoma to come here and uh, be part of this church family. Well, we had a choice to make. Were we willing to submit to that and leave uh, the life that we had started to really enjoy there in Montana? Well, we'd follow him by faith. I'm so thankful that we did follow him by faith. And it was a, it was a decision that we have zero regrets and are so thankful that we made that. If the Lord's leading you to do something, maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's church membership. Maybe it's uh, starting to give faithfully. Uh, maybe it's to start talking to your coworkers about the Lord and inviting them to church. Uh, maybe it's going around your neighborhood and, and putting flyers on their door. Uh, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, submit to it. Submit to it. You'll not regret it. So the first purpose that we see here in Jesus is uh, why he came to this earth. He submitted to the will of his Father. But then we see, secondly, Jesus came to satisfy the law. He came to satisfy the law. If you would turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And for those who have a, a little understanding of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 is when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. And while he was there on the Sermon on the Mount, he mentioned that he came to satisfy and fulfill the law. That's why he came. Verse number 17 of Matthew chapter number 5. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He said, I know what you're thinking. All you scribes and Pharisees out there who are you know, so-called experts on the law. You, you, you think I'm coming to like do away with it and erase it. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to complete it. I'm here to satisfy it and to fulfill it. And uh, Jesus did indeed satisfy the law and the prophets in several different ways. First of all, he fulfilled and satisfied the shadows of the law. You think about those laws regarding the sacrifices that people had to make for the covering of their sin. Those all pointed to Jesus Christ, didn't they? 
And, and the prophets, as they prophesied about the soon coming Messiah, well, Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. So he satisfied the law and the prophets. I think about the tabernacle worship and all the different symbolisms there of the, uh, the different aspects of the tabernacle, even how it was built, all pointed to Jesus. Jesus completely fulfilled it. Uh, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 17, uh, regarding the law, it says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So the law and the, and the prophets all acted as a shadow pointing to the real body, the, which was Christ. And he fulfilled it all. He satisfied the law and the prophets. He satisfied the law and the prophets also by uh, all the prophecies about the coming Messiah, where he was to be born, uh, what he was going to do, and where he was going to grow up, and all of those different prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. By the way, uh, one mathematician uh, explained that uh, if you were to take just eight of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, and uh, the chances of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies completely was equal to covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, marking one of those silver dollars, and having a blind man go into the state of Texas to try to find that one silver dollar. Nearly impossible. Virtually impossible. And yet Jesus completely and totally filled every last prophecy. And as I think about the law too, he was also in complete obedience to every aspect of the law. Well, since Jesus satisfied the law, that means we as believers are no longer under the law, praise the Lord, but we're now instead under grace. However, lest we think that means that we are free to live however we want and still go to heaven, which is a, a common thought in modern, I don't even want to call it Christianity, churchianity. You know, hey, I can, I'm saved, Jesus is my Savior, I've got fire insurance, now I get to live however I want, and it doesn't matter, because where grace did abound, or where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, so therefore, I'm going to continue in sin. No, that's not what living under grace means. In fact, the Bible tells us that we as Christians are now under a different law. The law of Christ. 1 John 2 and verse 6 tells us a little bit about this law. It says, He that saith he abideth in him ought, also, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. In other words, we're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to do as Jesus did. Now, I'm telling you, talk about a law that is a little more difficult to follow. Jesus was perfect. He was mistreated, and yet he never reviled. He never uh, spoke an unkind word that was uh, not necessary. And this law, by the way, is a higher standard than the old law. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter number 5, and if you read down through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus pointed back to the Old Testament law and then made it a higher standard, didn't he? Uh, he talked in verse number uh, 21, he talked about uh, the murder. He said, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, 
that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So he, he takes it a, a step further than the Old Testament law. You know, we're not under the Old Testament law any, as believers. But now we're under the law of Christ. Okay? Uh, he also goes on in verse 27 and talks about adultery. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he takes it to a higher standard. And as believers, this tells us what, uh, what our purpose is. The Lord Jesus came to satisfy the law, and now we as believers must strive to fulfill the law of Christ as we live our lives. And the motive for following the old law, remember, was fear of punishment. God's going to judge me. But now the motive for following the law of Christ is not fear of punishment anymore. It's love and devotion to the one who gave himself for me. Totally different. So what's my purpose? My purpose is to satisfy the law of Christ and to live according as he would want me to live. Not because he, uh, he might uh, zap me with a lightning bolt. By the way, we are looking to get a uh, steeple here at our church. This could have waited till the business meeting, but I can't wait to talk about that steeple. I'm excited about it. And uh, we're looking to have it. Well, it's going to have a lightning rod on there. Well, guess what? As believers, we don't need to worry about lightning rods uh, in our own lives. God's not going to zap you, but we do it because we love him. The motive is love, not, not fear of punishment. And so we see our purpose, and Jesus' purpose was to come to satisfy the law, and now we as believers need to live according to the law of Christ. Thirdly, I see uh, one of his other purposes in coming to this earth. Jesus said, he came to seek and to save. And this is found in Luke chapter 19 as we... Uh, look at the uh, story or the, uh, the encounter that Jesus had with a short, rich tax collector, chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Luke 19. And I won't go through the whole, uh, the whole record here, but uh, verses 1 down through verse number 10 is, is when Jesus met Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus met Jesus. And uh, he was... Zacchaeus did not, he, he was not a very popular individual. He was wealthy. He had everything money could want. He had power. Uh, he was the chief tax collector, but there was something missing in his life. There was something missing in his heart that money couldn't, bring, that money couldn't satisfy and power couldn't uh, give him. And he heard that Jesus was coming and he thought, maybe Jesus is the one I'm missing. And he was right. That was the one who he was missing. In uh, verse number 5 uh, of that chapter, Z he, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. The only time that Jesus invited himself over for a meal. Verse 6, he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the others around them, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be, gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Now, they were right. He did go to be a guest with a sinner. But I'm glad that he did. And uh, verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man 
By false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, by the way, the Old Testament law on that was if you took something uh, by false accusation, you were supposed to restore him uh, 20%. So again, the example is if he stole $100, he was supposed to give that $100 back plus 20%. So he's supposed to give $20 back. So 120 is what he was supposed to restore. Well, Zacchaeus went way further with that, again, because now he's under the law of Christ. And uh, now he takes it a little bit further, a lot further, and says, I'm not going to give him 120, I'm going to give him $400. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. And uh, that's the change that God made in his life. Well, verse number 9, Jesus said, This day is salvation come into this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. And then he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, this is why Jesus came. He didn't come to, you know, just be an example necessarily, though he did. He also came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was looking for those who were lost. And by the way, if you're here today without Christ, you're lost. And you need a Savior. And Jesus came to seek and to save you. Matthew 121 uh, tells us this, and we looked at it a few weeks ago as we went through the, um, the Christmas uh, talking about Christmas. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, have you ever lost something and found it? Um, I've shared this story before, but uh, I have this, this wedding ring on my finger that shows that I belong to Julie and uh, that I am not ashamed to say that I belong to Julie. And uh, I don't know that any woman has ever looked at my finger and went, oh, bummer, there's a ring on his finger. I don't think that it's ever happened. Uh, so Julie doesn't have anything to worry about. But I, I'm still proud to uh, identify with her. Well, uh, several years ago, I took my children to the beach when we lived in Southern California on a Saturday uh, morning while Julie was at a ladies' retreat. And we were there, and uh, we were getting all set up. We had this little tent with some you know, uh, pockets in the tent, and I put my phone in there, and I put my keys in there, and I put my wallet in there, and, and then I was like, you know, if I get in the water, I don't want to lose my ring, so I put my ring in, the, in one of the pockets of the, that tent, and we played around. We had a good time. We built sandcastles. Let, I mean, this is when the kids were smaller, um, and, uh, you know, Seth building a sandcastle right now is kind of a hard thing to imagine, but, um, but uh, they all just enjoyed playing, and then it was time to go, so I said, all right, kids, let's clean up, let's clean up. And I grabbed that tent, and I kind of, it, it got a bunch of sand in it. And so I just kind of flipped it and flipped all the tent out and kind of shook the, the sand out of the tent. And I totally forgot to get the stuff out of those pockets. So my keys went flying, my wallet went flying, my watch went flying, and my ring went flying. Well, uh, after I realized all that, I went and looked for all that stuff, and I found the keys, found the wallet, found the watch. I couldn't find the ring because it fell in that sand and it just kind of like disappeared. I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a fun conversation to have with the missus. And sure enough, I decided to give up. We looked for, you know, a good two minutes. No, we, we looked for a good 10, 15 minutes and I was like, guys, we need to get back and I just don't know where it is. I just think it's gone. 
So we left, and I told her, and she's like, well, how'd it go at the beach? You know, how'd the kids do? And I was like, great. Brought all the kids back. <laughs> Brought my wallet back. <laughs> but I didn't bring my ring back. I lost my ring. And I explained what happened to her, and she's like, okay, that's an expensive ring. And I'm like, I know. Thanks for reminding me about that. That was on a Saturday. Uh, my day off at that point, where it still is now, it was Tuesday. And uh, she said, well, on Tuesday, maybe we go back and look for it. And I'm like, okay, by Tuesday. I mean, Sunday, there's going to be a bunch of people at the beach. I'm sure if somebody finds it, they'll keep it and say, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, then, you know, Monday, I mean, people will still be at the beach. Uh, by Tuesday, it's going to for sure be gone. Well, Tuesday, we decide to do this, and we go to a place close to our house that we rent a metal detector. So we get that metal detector out, and we go to the place where... Uh, sort of where I, we were at, and I couldn't remember. There was nobody there on a Tuesday morning, and so I was like, I, it was around here somewhere. So let's just start going. And we did this for about 45 minutes, and we found like a couple dimes. We found a lot of bottle caps, and uh, we were like, well, if we keep going, we might find enough change to pay for this metal detector rental, and uh, that might be good. And uh, we were about to give up, and then my wife had the spiritual idea to pray. Uh, I was like, I should have thought of that first. But she's like, maybe we should stop and pray. And I was like, ah, why'd you beat me to that? Why didn't we do that at the beginning? Why are you more spiritual than me? Well, we did. We ended up praying, and, um, and then about like five minutes later, uh, we ended up, I had it, and she's like, Oh, it's probably nothing. And I'm like, well, I'm going to dig and find out what this is. And it ended up being this very ring. Uh, we ended up finding this in all that sand. Pretty amazing. Well, Jesus was willing to leave heaven to come to this earth to find you and to find me. Pretty amazing. And guess what? For most of us, he found us. And uh, he has completely changed us. Praise the Lord. And uh, he was willing to do all that for you. He came to seek and to save. Now, as we consider his purpose in coming to this earth, to seek and to save that which was lost, what's my purpose in being here? Why do I exist? Well, one of the reasons is to do what Jesus did, to come to seek and to save. Now, we can't save anybody. There's no saving power that exists within me, except for the Lord Jesus who resides in me. And I can point these people who are lost to the one who can save them. And that's my purpose in this life is to, you know, why, did, why didn't God take me out of this world the moment that I believed on Christ? Because he has a mission for me to fulfill, a mission to accomplish. And one of those aspects of the mission is to tell others about Christ. To be a witness to my neighbors, to be a witness to my coworkers, to be a witness to those in my neighborhood and my community. By the way, that's your purpose too. You and I have all been given a ministry. You say, I didn't sign up for any ministry. I, I just come on Sundays, that's all. No, no, no. According to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So congratulations, you've been given a ministry. And you don't even have to be a member of our church to be involved in this ministry. You can go out and be uh, part of the ministry of reconciliation by telling others about Christ. By seeking those who are lost and pointing them to the one who can save them. That's your purpose as a believer. That's my purpose as a believer. 
So Jesus came to seek and to save. Fourthly, and lastly this morning that we'll look at, Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice. Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice. Mark chapter 10, if you would. Uh, we'll look at this last passage. Mark chapter number 10. And verse 45. Mark 10, 45. Jesus said this, and of course these are his words. They're in red. And Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice. And if there was ever anyone who deserved to be served, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that's not why he came. He came to serve instead. He came to be a blessing and, and, and to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2 and verse number a seven says it this way, but may, Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. If Jesus was willing to serve, certainly you and I should be as well. Uh, we see his servant's heart and how he healed the sick, how he cleansed the lepers, and how he raised the dead. We see his servant's heart and how he served the disciples in that upper room he, when he served the bread and the cup. But we also see it in how he was willing to uh, wash the disciples' feet. He was willing to, after that, after that supper was over, he got up and girded himself with a towel and took a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. That was the job of a servant. And, why, and these disciples are looking at him like, why would Jesus do this? He's our master. He's our Lord. Why would he stoop to that, to that low of a level to serve us? And uh, it was Peter who spoke up and said, hey, you don't need to be washing my feet. Please stop. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he said, okay, well, then don't wash just my feet. Wash my head and everything. Uh, wash, wash, me, wash, wash all of me. Um, and then at the end of that display of servanthood, here's what Jesus said in John 13, 15. He said, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Jesus said, I didn't do this just to kind of wow you. I wanted you to now go and do what I've done, to serve others. In Mark chapter 10, as Jesus said, even the Son of Man's came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The context of this, if you look at the verses before that, uh, what happened in verse number 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and, and in other gospel writers said that it was their mom that uh, asked this question. It was mama who uh, kind of, I don't know if it was embarrassing to James and John or whatever, but uh, the question was, uh, they, they approached Jesus in verse 35, and Jesus said in verse 36, what, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. They said, we want to, when you get to heaven, we want to you know, have a place of power and influence. So if, if one of us can sit on the right hand and one of us can sit on the left hand, then that would be great. Jesus said in verse 38, you don't even know what you're asking here. And they said, oh yeah, 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 we know. We're willing to do whatever it takes. He said, okay, fine. Uh, but... Uh, it's not really my. It's not really up to me. It's uh, it's up to the, it's up to my father. 
Well, verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John, probably because they didn't ask before they did. <laughs> probably because they were like, ah, they beat us to that. I want to sit on the right hand. I want to sit on the left hand. But in verse 42, Jesus gets, gets them and says, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And then he says, by the way, if there was ever anybody that, deser that deserved to be the authority to, to take lordship, it was me. But I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to serve. I came to be a blessing so much so that I'm willing to give my life for you. And we'll get into that aspect a little bit more next Sunday. But Jesus came to serve. And we're called to serve the Lord. Romans 12 and verse number 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You and I are called to serve the Lord. We're called to serve within the local church. And we're called to serve one another. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, By love, serve one another. So you say, well, what's my purpose in being here? Well, part of it is understanding the fact that Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice and realizing that that's my purpose too. And not to have a whole bunch of servants around me, but for me to be a servant to a bunch of people around me. And that's, that's what uh, is going to cause us to be great in God's kingdom. He said in verse 44, Whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. See, the way it works in this world is the chiefest has a bunch of servants under them. That's not the way it works in God's kingdom. It's completely different. The greatest is the one who is the servant to the most. And so the encouragement for us is to understand our purpose is not to look to, see, to seek to be served, but to seek for opportunities to serve. Share a quick story with you uh, as we wrap up this message. Tennessee Williams tells a story of someone who forgot. It's a story of Jacob Brodsky, a shy Russian Jew who, whose father owned a bookstore. Well, the older Brodsky wanted his son to go to college. But the boy, on the other hand, desired nothing but to marry Lilia, his childhood sweetheart, a, a French girl. Well, a couple of months after young Brodsky went to college, his father fell ill and died. The son returned home, buried his father, and then ended up marrying his love. Then the couple moved into the apartment just above the bookstore, and Brodsky took over its management. The life of books fit him perfectly. But it kind of cramped her style. She wanted more adventure. And she found it, she thought, when she met an agent who praised her beautiful singing voice and enticed her to tour Europe uh, with um, a singing company. Brodsky was devastated. But at their parting, he reached into his pocket and handed her the key to the front door of the bookstore. You'd better keep this, he told her, because you will want it someday. Your love is not so much less than mine that you can get away from it. You will come back sometime, and I will be waiting. She kissed him and left. 
To escape the pain he felt, Brodsky withdrew himself deep into his bookstore, took to reading as someone else might have taken to drink. He spoke little, did little, and could most times be found at the large desk near the rear of the shop, immersed in his books while he waited for his love to return. Well, nearly 15 years after they parted, at Christmas time, she did return. But when Brodsky rode from the desk reading that f- rose from the reading desk that had been his place of escape for all that time, he did not take the love of his life for more than an ordinary customer. Do you want a book? He asked. And that he didn't recognize her startled her. But she gained possession of herself and replied, I want a book, but I've forgotten the name of it. Then she told him a story of childhood sweethearts, a story of a newly married couple who lived in an apartment above a bookstore, a story of a young, ambitious wife who left to seek a career, who enjoyed great success but could never relinquish the key her husband gave her when they parted. She told him the story she thought would bring him to himself, but his face still showed no recognition. Gradually, she realized that he had lost touch with his heart's desire that he no longer knew the purpose of his waiting and grieving, that now all he remembered was the waiting and grieving itself. You remember it. You must remember it. The story of Lilia and Jacob. After a long, bewildered pause, he said, uh, there is something familiar about that story. I think I've read it somewhere. It comes to me that it is something by Tolstoy. And dropping the key, she fled the shop. And Brodsky returned to his desk, to his reading, unaware that the love he waited for had come and gone. How sad. And yet how many people in this world are searching and seeking for what their purpose is in this life, and yet all the while Jesus came with a purpose, and in doing so shows us what our purpose is too. You see, it's right there. Jesus came to submit to his Father's will. He came to satisfy the law. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to serve and to sacrifice. And in each of these, we see our purpose too. To submit to the will of God for our lives. To live now under the law of Christ as believers. To now seek those who are lost and point them to the one who can save them. And to serve the Lord and others with a heart of love. You see, that's my purpose and that's yours too. And so this morning, let's go and live it out. Let's pray together today.